Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io. Hey, everybody. It's Thursday at 4.20 p.m. Eastern. That means it's time for Office Hours, Arroya's weekly session for cultivators to hear from the experts and talk to each other about what they're seeing with their grows. I'm Keisha. I'm your co-moderator. Mandy, how you doing? Hello. It's going great over here. We're signing on for episode 51. Can you guys believe it? Getting ready for some hardcore crop steering discussions today. Um, you'll also know we're going live over on YouTube, so make sure you send us your questions and I'll get those over to the team. Um, also, a reminder, if you're active on social media, be sure you're following us on all the platforms. So we're on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Social Club. And we're also going to be picking the winner for, of our giveaway with Whipple Effect and Psychonautic, Psychonaut Genetics. So check back on our Instagram today and tomorrow to see if you've won. But we got the questions this week, so I'm going to go ahead and pass it back over to Keisha. Awesome. Thank you, Mandy. All right. If you're live with us here and you have a question, feel free to type it in the chat at any time. If your question gets picked, we'll have you either unmute yourself or I'd be happy to ask it for you. Jason, are you ready for our first question today? Sure, let's get going. Woo -woo. All right. Um, JT posted a couple comments on YouTube. Let's let's ask, ask uh, talk about these questions here. First one: When should you start worrying uh, after checking runoff pH? Say your feed is coming in at five point eight. How far of a differential tolerance is acceptable? Um, you know, great question. I I try not to get too far more than say 0 0.4, 0 0.5 pH up or down um, before I get worried and want to definitely get a leaf tissue sample in to see which ions are in imbalance. Um, so basically what's happening is when we see runoff pH uh, going up or going down substantially, it's going to mean that the balance of, of nutrients in solution um, are being eaten uh, out of a balanced composition. Uh, so definitely want to I mean, I guess there's two ways. One, you can increase how much runoff you're doing, but that's going to affect all of your other components. Um, so the best thing to do is really get an understanding of why things are, are getting unbalanced. So get get some leaf excuse me, leaf tissue samples sent in um, or sap analysis samples, and try to understand what uh, what that specific plant is is feeding on heavier than others. Awesome. Thank you for that. And then um, actually JT had another question they posted this week. They were asking, how do you know which nutrient your plant is uptaking or not by the runoff pH? Is that something you can tell from that? Uh, nope. So that's where the return of your leaf, leaf tissue analysis or, or sap analysis is going to give you a breakdown of those different nutrient elements. And that would be the most sure way to know which specific elements are um, getting uptake faster than the others. All right. So leaf tissue analysis will bring forth that data. Excellent. All right. Moving on. Brian Goldie submitted a question this week. They want to know, is there an environmental controller you could recommend? You know, uh, as far as the commercial environmental controllers, none of them are really my favorite right now. Um, and it just depends on the size of operation that you're trying to run. Are you indoor? Are you mixed light greenhouse? Where are you at in the country? Um, all of these are going to play a factor in how much you want to spend or you have to spend in order to get a control system. Um, 
how much customization do you want to get involved with? A lot of the best systems right now are getting designed by um, PMS systems, um, so building management systems, people that have been doing um, hospitals, other type of agriculture, any of that stuff. Any of the cannabis-specific stuff is probably not going to be the most cost-effective option, while for some indoor applications, it might be the quickest and easiest way to get up and running. Um, so there's the spectrum. Um, you have component-based items, one, you know, things that'll be like, hey, we need something to control our lighting or something to control, um, you know, like a thermostat, for example, would be a, a component-based. And then you have system-based, uh, on the other hand, whereas maybe you're building out a new facility and you want to try and consolidate all of the operating parameters into one system. That would be something like BMS um, on that side. And typically, your cost is going to go up. The more you try to consolidate or do infrastructure size, um, typically your upfront costs will go up, but obviously the usage should be a little bit easier because you're looking at all of your different variables operating in one system rather than component-based where you might have to take manual um, readings of other types to try and get that information. Um, so yeah, you know, for example, simplest side, we could go install a you know, Honeywell thermostat or a thermostat that you use at your house to turn your HVAC on and off. A couple things there is you're not going to have something like a variable frequency drive. Uh, so if you have uh, fans that can operate at multi-speeds, you may not get that option with something like a thermostat. Um, on the other hand, you know, system-based, we can start making parameters like, all right, let's take temperature, humidity, and light levels into account when we're trying to evaluate uh, how much we need to operate uh, a vent system. So a lot more complex than than the simple answer that you wanted of a brand name. I'm sorry, but uh, that's that's the reality of why we see so many different implementations and why uh, you know at this point it's really still a challenge. There's there's not a great option um, as far as I'm concerned. Thank you for that overview. That's great. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm just curious for my own information. Like, why environmental controllers? Like, are those things that something that uh, facilities really should be investing in? Is that something that they need to look into? Or um, is there a way they can kind of make things work without having to invest in, in stuff like that? Um, kind of comes down to, you know, the question of how much energy do you want to spend trying to capture the operating performance of your facility um, by hand? with your time invested trying to trying to capture that data, maybe with a system like Arroyo, compiling it on other individual components, or you know, how much do we want to try and optimize based on parameters that we know. Um, so yes, I think the investment is usually worth trying to get into a, a system based, um, unless you're looking to move facilities, you know, in a, in a few months or a year. Um, if, if you're in a long-term plan, then, then system-based is usually more effective. Um, and, and that does come with some learning curve and or previous experience to be able to, to work with more advanced systems. So I think that's why we see the real gamut of, uh, of different components in the industry right now is because uh, some people just need to get up and running so that they can start to, to make some money um, and afford a system-based. Um, that being said, you know, if you're retrofitting, uh, existing buildings, sometimes component-based is easier to install. Uh, like I said, it's less upfront cost. Uh, if you're starting scratch, then you know, system-based or system-based uh, operation is the way that you want to invest if you're looking for long-term operating convenience and return. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Yeah, always uh, 
trying to figure out ways to really like uh, def define what makes the most sense for a short-term versus long-term investment with facilities. So thank you for that. Um, Mandy, I'm going to send it over to you. What do you have going on over there? Um, we have a question about lighting. Y'all know I love that. Uh, our friends over at River City Growers wrote in, in your experience, what's the optimal spectrum balance for LED flower lighting? Great question. As far as lighting goes, one of my most favorite subjects for anyone that's been watching this show. Um, look up photomorphogenesis if you want to know all the science behind these things or as much as the science that we've progressed with um, cannabis in specific. Lots of information about how other crops perform when we modify blue versus red spectrums um, as an example. So when we look at the history of LEDs, not all of them were necessarily considered full spectrum. Um, some of the interesting things here is you know, we're looking at the different um, chlorophyll responses in the uh, lighting spectrum curve. So, you know, down here we're starting with um, blues, purples, et cetera. Um, you know, below say 400 nanometers, and then up on the high end, you know, the 800 range would be something like uh, far reds, ultra, um, or infrared, excuse me. And uh, so, really, what we're talking about is how much intensity is in each of these. When we look at something like HPS, um, usually they're going to be more parabolic, and so they're kind of approaching it kind of like the sun, right? Anything that's incandescent, um, a little bit more like the sun, where we have mostly balanced sure we taper off at the ends and actually a lot of hps's have a little bit of spike over the far red that's when we start talking about room or uh, radiation to room temperature ratios and why we can operate rooms a little bit hotter with leds than um, hid so hids would be metal highlight or hps you know the most common um, and metal highlights are a little bit of a compromise. I don't mean to get too far away from LEDs. I'm just trying to give some context to the question and, and the evolution of LEDs. So a lot of the earlier LEDs were, uh, it was harder for companies to produce some of the optimal type of um, diodes. So LED lights are just composed of a whole bunch of small diodes, which are type of doped junction for any of the electronics gurus in here. When we run a voltage differential across that doped junction, it produces light. Depending on what type of chemical we put in that junction is going to change the color of it, or specifically for this conversation, the spectrum. And so when we look at a lot of the older LEDs, sure, they were pink, right? And a lot of the newer terminology comes into full spectrum. The reality is, is there are just a combination of different color LEDs, different color diodes, all in combination on a light. So if we take a, a picture of an LED, um, or if it's really dim and you can look at it with your eyes, you'll see different color LEDs in there. Some of them are white, some of them might be blue or purple. Um, and based on research in photomorphogenesis, they can be modulated by certain brands to emphasize some of the spectrums. Apologies. And um, a lot of times LEDs are more efficient because they're producing uh, more light for how much heat is produced. So HPS is a lot, a lot of the energy goes into heat. LEDs are actually producing more light um, wattage than, than heat wattage. And we can also tailor those LEDs. So a lot of the manufacturers have 
more diodes in our um, chlorophyll ranges. So I think that's I mean, I'd look have to look it up, but I think around 420 and somewhere in the 700. And when we look at full spectrum, they are sometimes filling in those other gaps. Those other gaps are how we activate things like phytochromes, um, cryptochromes, other types of secondary metabolites that modify the plant behavior. Um, to make it even more complicated, so when we look at photomorphogenesis, what that's talking about is how does the plant respond to the spectrum at different phases in its life cycle. And for vegging plants, uh, a lot of times the more blue ratios will increase uh, how much stock stems vegetative growth that we can uh, implement. Uh, some of the manufacturers these days have like spring setting and summer setting and fall setting on their LEDs. What this is doing is just modulating how many of the specific LEDs where the intensity of the different color LEDs are on. And so that we get a cumulative spectrum that changes. Um, and so moving through the cycle, something like that in veg would have usually more blue lights enabled. Um, when we go into something like summer, it's going to become more balanced. And then, uh, say, if we have a fall mode, usually they're going to start to push towards the red end of the spectrum. And this is also one of the reasons that when we look at, uh, I think a question we've had in the past was, you know, why, why is it harder for me to ripen with LEDs? Well, traditionally, HPSs have significantly more far red, which is what tends to make the plant more generative or, or ripen up towards the end of it, which makes sense when we think of a plant's life cycle in respect to the seasons. Um, long answer again, but uh, what is the perfect spectrum? You know, I'd love to know that myself. Uh, I, I think right now the, the perfect spectrum is the one that you can produce with the LEDs that you have. Um, obviously, if you are able to modulate it, then it's time to start documenting which strains are preferring which spectrum for how much duration of the cycle. Wow, I did not know that the seasons were factored into lighting that much. That is really cool. Um, thank you for that, Jason. Um, we are getting questions over on YouTube. Uh, Brian wrote in, when do we want a higher substrate EC and why? Yeah, so if you know, we reference kind of the crop steering methodologies that we've gone over for many, many episodes, we like to have substrate EC gradually increase while we are doing generative stacking. So, I mean, that's kind of why we call it. One of the reasons I like, I call it stacking is because we see the EC stacking up. Uh, another reason that we call it stacking would be because we're stacking our nodes rather than having uh, large node spaces from vegetative growth. We implement some changes in that plant's um, chemistry to help reduce our node space, develop as many calyx building sites as possible. Um, why does this happen? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with osmotic differential between the substrate and the plant. Uh, when we look at osmotic differential, really what we're referring to is uh, the trigger pressure in the cells and how much they're affecting uh, water absorption from uh, the substrate. So why do we, when uh, during generative stacking, we like to have these see higher? Why is to get the preferred plant morphology. Boom, great summary. Uh, thank you for that. And that is it for YouTube right now. So I will pass it back over to Keisha. Thanks, Mandy. Jason, you're dropping so much knowledge. I, 
I can't write my notes fast enough. So this is great. Thank you. Um, all right. Moving on to another write-in. Um, let's see. Fly tying and fishing wrote in. They're looking for some guidance. Mom room drybacks. They're wondering how to ideally water a mom room that's got a wide array of different aged moms. Mm, thoughts on that? Yeah, so with with moms, you know, usually we're looking for more vegetative growth. Um, obviously, we're typically in an 18-hour light cycle, and we're trying to build um, plant structure as fast as possible so that we can get as much clones harvested from those moms as possible. So, you know, basis of vegetative steering is a wider irrigation window, lots of pulsed irrigations from beginning of irrigation window to end of irrigation window. Um, specifics of that are going to depend on the transpiration rates of the plant, um, which is affected by age as well. And then um, plant size, or excuse me, um, substrate size. So plant size, substrate size, um, those are going to be the main factors that you're looking at when building an irrigation schedule in the mother room. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. We got, we got another question in here. I love these because I think I know the answer, but six millimeter beast wrote in, I'm using 45% water capacity cocoa. What percentage do I dry back to for veg stretch bulk? Um, yeah. You know, again, looking at genetic and substrate size specifics, uh, you know, in ideal type of scenarios, usually for, Generative, we are looking at, you know, anywhere between, say, a 15 to 30%. Um, and then for vegetative, we'll be looking at um, usually something like 10 to 20%. Freezing through them. Thank you so much. Just a reminder to everybody's on with us live here and on YouTube. If you want to get your question answered, now is the time. Um, all right, moving on to more write-ins. Jungle Jim wrote in. Um, how do you go about calibrating the Terrace 12? Is there a step-by-step walkthrough somewhere I could look at? Thanks. Now, Jason, we talked about this a few weeks ago. My understanding is we don't have to ca uh, calibrate the 12, uh, Terrace 12. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. When we're manufacturing the Terrace 12s, we do a lifetime calibration on it. Um, you know, that being said, anybody that is using like a Solus, for example, there is options for soilless or um, soil type of substrates. Um, really what this is doing is we're just modifying the polynomial equation. So Terrace 12 sends out raw data. Um, that raw data gets processed, and that's what turns into the water content and EC measurements coming from it. Um, now that being said, different substrates have different dielectric permittivities, uh, and that's why uh, we need to know what type of substrate is in there in order to get the correct transformation of the data. And I didn't say calibration because in calibration, we're thinking about um, how do we make it align with what is accurate. Well, the sensors are giving us an accurate measurement of the electricity passing through the prongs. And how do we turn that into a human readable information is really what we're doing. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Um, checking in with you, Mandy. Uh, we got in some live questions over there. We did. Um, we got a couple questions come in. Um, she wants big buds wrote in. How can I use Arroyo to help dial in on my irrigation strategies? Uh, well, the first way to do it is to start capturing data. Um, see how your 
current irrigation strategies are affecting the plants. Um, so getting an idea, what's you know, our substrate EC look like? What does those rises in ECs look like um, overnight or to the next day from irrigation, first irrigation of the day to the next day's first irrigation? Uh, how big are my drybacks? Are my water contents in the ranges that are appropriate for my media type? Um, those are some of the the first things that we need to start looking at. Uh, other things to be looking at would be environment. Are we providing the appropriate amount of light for our plants to uh, have as much transpiration as possible? Um, so, are, you know, are, are we optimizing our stomatal conductance from the leaf surfaces? Um, we don't. We don't currently produce CO two, but that's definitely one thing to keep into factor when we go to crop steer. We really want to make sure that our environment is is on par. So, with our sensors. First thing that I like to do before I even get started making any irrigation changes is, are my VPDs appropriate for my time frame? Do my temperatures and humidities um, make a, a preferential plant environment? You know, are, are we at the temperature and humidity we need to be for VPD? So after those parameters are dialed in, then we can start to modulate uh, our irrigation schedules start to either stack that EC like we were talking about in the earlier question. Um, maybe we need to open up our irrigation windows to stay out of over dry back ranges. Um, maybe we need a little bit more runoff to reduce how much EC is being built up in the substrate. Those are all kind of questions that can be answered after diagnosing uh, current parameters using our substrate sensors. So it's, it's really giving you that visibility and you can really start documenting and learning from your strains. That's a way easier answer than I gave. No, I love it. You just gave us a ton of stuff to write about now. This is great. I love it. Um, thank you for that. Uh, so we also have another question about Arroyo. All about science of 420 wrote in. Can you tell me about Arroyo's tech? How long has it been around for? Yeah. Uh, so we think and I could be a little bit off here because I'm. I think I was born about the time that we started doing uh, substrate measurements, uh, as far as the the meter group technology goes. And I think it was around the early '90s that we were looking at um, building some of these sensors. As far as the Terras 12 itself has been out for uh, a little bit longer than I've been working um, on this Aurora project. So I think about five years um, it's been out, and it's. It's not a lot different than the previous model, which was the, the GS3. And I think those came out um, around 2010, 2012. I could, like I said, I could be off. A lot of history for me to, to remember. But, um, yeah, it's it's been proven. Um, you know, with hundreds of thousands of these sensors out in the field, as far as the Terrace 12 goes, it's been used in traditional agriculture fairly significantly. Um, obviously, with the Roya product, we've adopted specifically for uh, cannabis and, and more towards substrates in controlled environment agriculture. Awesome. So tested and tested again over the over the course of some decades and then tailored to the needs of cannabis farmers. We love to hear that. Awesome. I think that we're getting some live questions. So I'm going to pass it over to you, Keisha. Awesome, Mandy. Thank you so much. Bilbo's in the house and dropped a question in the chat. Bilbo, you want to unmute yourself and speak to it? And if not, I can, yeah. Hey. Yeah, hey. Can Happy New Year, man. You too. So my question is about uh, the difference between osmotic stress 
and water stress when performing programmed irrigations. So working on an irrigation strategy throughout a specific harvest group. Now, I want to know if you've, you've seen kind of a tried, tested, and true method of being able to differentiate between when is a good time other than, you know, generative stacking, when there is a good time to, to, to hone in on some more osmotic stress as opposed to just water stressing the plants, or if I'm already potentially barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, so when I think about um, water stress, apologies, uh, I like to think about matrix potential. And so when we look at matrix potential in most of these hydroponic medias, uh, cocoa, uh, rock wool especially, we're really ever not actually applying any water stress to the plant unless we're in somewhat detrimental ranges. Um, so typically when we're crop steering, we're using drybacks to help modulate how much osmotic uh, potential or the osmotic differential between the plant and the substrate. Okay. Does that answer the question? Well, it's confirming what, what, uh, what approach I'm taking, but I asked the question as open as I could to see if it, it sparks some learning for other people as well. Yeah, you know, and I think it's, it's kind of a little bit of a misconception. Stress is not my favorite term to use when we're crop steering. Um, I just like to think about how we're manipulating um, the environment that the plant is is in, um, both environment in the air and um, in the substrate. So, uh, like I said, you know, if we're stressing things, if we're seeing plants drooping, usually we've gone too far modifying a parameter. And that can't affect long-term anger. That was a great question, Bilbo. You posted something else in the chat. You want to you speak to that as well? He posted a question wondering um, if Arroyo has made any progress on the crop registration component of the platform. Anything you can share there, Jason? So traditionally with um, crop registration, we're talking about some of the manual readings that we allow you to input into the system. Um, one of the challenges I faced while cultivating was how do I digitize my grow journal and compile that on top of my sensor data? And so we allowed to do manual readings, which I'm assuming is what we're talking about with um, crop registration. And it sounds like, looks like Bill is gonna jump in here and clarify in just a minute. But yes, uh, as far as the reading types for manual readings that we support, I can pull up a list, but the list is runoff pH, runoff EC, plant height, node spacing, spot light measurements. So if you're in there with a, um, a PPFT meter by hand, just taking a spot measurement. Uh, in just a second, I'll rattle off all of them. Uh, dry back moisture content, spot EC, spot water content, spot pH, runoff EC, runoff pH, runoff volume, feed EC, feed pH, feed volume, flower diameter, stem diameter, node spacing, plant height, temperature, uh, spot temperature, uh, water activity, stomatal conductance, CO2, daily average VPD, light, lighting indicator, relative humidity, air temperature spot, and so, yeah, most anything that we would have taken in a, in a grow journal, you can attribute right to your harvest group, um, and you can chart those on your 
Arroyo chart. So kind of a great example of this would be is if we're looking at the EC and the substrate and we're used to being in there taking um, runoff EC measurements, plot those on top of each other and see how much EC is building up in the substrate versus what's coming off in runoff. Uh, another one of my favorites, crop registration. This one is critical for crop steering is the plant height. We really want to be taking plant height, especially coming out of edge. We want to hit the target plant height we know for a certain strain so that we can achieve the appropriate irrigation and environment strategies to optimize the size of plant we can grow. Bill, Bill you want to mute yourself? Okay, yes. Thank you for the uh, clarity. Now, I guess, backstory or understanding, the last time I asked this question was the middle of last year and and it, I wouldn't know if it was inconclusive but there was definitely different I'm seeing a lot of this data being so relevant and I, it's very challenging to give one source of truth where everything is so that's why I'm asking qualifiers like this if I have someone on site and they're putting this these details in that it would get the same type of uh, graphing capacity and, and back-end power that Arroyo's platform has to make better decisions? And the yeah, answer is yes. And I can show you how if we yes. want to. Let's just do a quick screen share and pull up some of our sample data. Um, so first off, let's see, how do we add crop registration information? Um, if you are in the web app and the mobile app, you can do them as well fairly easily. Um, we've recently released the ability to just uh, send these from your solus meter. So if you're taking EC measurements with your solus meter, you can log them right into uh, Arroyo using that app. So that's a nice huge time saver. Uh, that being said, if you're anywhere um, on our pages, uh, you can click this blue button and type in or click on reading. And that's going to give you a, a screen that allows us to tell the system which room and what type and also what time that we're working off of. The other, my favorite way to do it is to actually do it right on the graph. And the reason I like to do this is because then I don't have to specify which room or the time frame. I get a time stamp it specifically for um, when I'm taking that reading. So let's say I'm in there taking a runoff reading right here. You can say reading. And we'll say, you know, runoff pH, and we've got a pH of 5.7 in zone one, and we could say add reading. So obviously with any sampling, the more samples that we get, the better. Now let's say uh, our zone two is at 5.8, and then we can record these readings. And then we're able to populate the chart with manual readings. So we can see no manual readings if I select runoff pH. Should plot these on our chart. And my apologies, I actually have a new feature enabled here called split graphs, which we should be releasing very soon. It allows you to plot environment and soil on different charts. Um, so if I had that off, we'd be able to see the, um, those pH readings in here. Another way that we can utilize 
that information is if we jump into uh, Harvest Group and we go into Analytics, we can see all of the crop registration information that we've saved. So if we look down here, plant development, things like canopy height, node spacing, stem diameter, um, IPM applications, obviously. And then obviously our journal is going to have the individual log readings. So just trying to give as much insight depending on how you need to look at that information. If you're on a day-to-day -day basis, if you're trying to figure out if someone got all of their registration in um, and or on a you know, long-term analytical goal. Fantastic. Great overview. And we got a little sneak a little sneak peek into a feature update. Uh, Bilbo, you posted another question. You want to speak to it? I, I can't say enough how, how important I think it is for those manual Kairos readings, qualitative views that people get in the rooms to correlate to the, this in-situ data and what you're seeing from uh, facility-wide uh, space. So seeing these together is just... <laughs> If anyone is out there collecting this data manually and having to journal it together, let this be a lesson that they just put it together in one place. Uh, my next question is, can I export that in like a CSV or, you know, imagine in your markets, probably like a metric equivalent. Like, can I track the instances of a particular employee or a user inputting that data? Um. Currently, you can, you cannot do a CSV export of um, annotations or auxiliary data, but that, that's imagine, a great feature. That I, imagine people imagine like some sort of uh, for record keeping. The, the way that we have there are constraints here. Like this could this is so close to a manufacturing software. Like okay, here's the recipe. Here's what we did when we did it. Here's the tasks that it took to complete it so then you know i mean even if you factor in the the aqua lab and other components i mean you you almost have everything in one package which would qualify as a batch record so i'm, I'm trying to see like okay if i can put it in i want to be able to take it out or maybe there's already an export you know, there's, uh, like I said, there's not an export. We do have some filtering options. Um, so if we're in the journal, we could say, all right, Jason Van Leuven, how many tasks um, or how many notes have I put in there? Um, those type of things. So uh, th there is some filtering options to help do that. Obviously, nothing like tallying up how many I've done of what type. Um, we, we're like, we're, we're, we're getting to get there. We have some, some tasking revisions, uh, a project to kind of help do time tracking, those type of things. And um, hopefully we can expand the capabilities here, but you're exactly right. The importance of this stuff is huge. And what we've done is tried to make it more live available. I, um, I used to do a lot of data capturing from our growers journals. And uh, at the end of the week, I would enter all that data. So, you know, the, the, Freshest data you'd always have was from last Friday, and the oldest data that you would have was from uh, from Monday that week. And that was never a great way for people to to all have availability to what is in that grow journal moving around the facility. Um, 
as far as importance of annotations themselves. Uh, I used to print off my daily room charts and I would circle any area that uh, showed concern um, and write a note. You know, okay, why, why is my temperature spiking? Or why is my humidity spiking? And then I would go investigate the operations uh, of the HVAC equipment to try and analyze, is this something that I can mitigate by improving the programming in my systems? A great example of that was uh, our, uh, our temperatures on Mondays were always higher and uh, ended up that uh, the grower had scheduled on our wall-mounted thermostat, unfortunately, that uh, Mondays had a higher set point. And so it didn't take long for us to, to get away from component type items like that and implement system-wide system, um, system -wide environmental controllers like we discussed earlier. But yeah, annotations can, they, they're a great way to help your system become more effective, how to communicate issues to the team and uh, really make iterative improvements onto whatever you see and need to operate. Bill, you posted a question here asking uh, for a project roadmap. Just to let you know, we are actually going to be working on um, getting more regular feature updates out to folks. So stay tuned for all that goodness. Um, Jason, great uh, overview as usual. Um, Mandy, I think we got a question in on YouTube, yeah? Oh, yeah, we did. Um, Alex wrote in, are there any visual cues that the plant gives when pushing generative steering for stretch, whether that's pushing generative steering for four weeks or pushing substrate EC? Uh, I mean, yeah. If the plant is feeling the generative cues that we're getting it, if you know, its hormone balance has, has been altered by what we're doing in crop steering, then you should see decreased node spacing so bud sites closer together, you see the slope of your plant height line decreasing, um, and then hopefully bud development. That's why we're doing that generative steering. So absolutely, if you're not seeing a morphological response from, um, from that generative steering, either A, it hasn't quite altered the plant physiology yet, or B, uh, it's not being applied appropriately in a way that's affecting the plant. Awesome. Thanks for that. And thanks for that question, Alex. Uh, if there's any other questions over there on YouTube, make sure you send them our way. But other than that, I think we also have some questions that we sent in on, uh, got in on Instagram. So I'm going to pass it back over to Keisha. Awesome, Andy. Thank you. Yeah, heads up to everybody. We've got just uh, over 20 minutes left in the show. So if you have a question, now's the time to start answering it. I'm uh, got our last Instagram submission here from Grandmama Purple 74 They're asking, when it comes to crop steering, what are some things I should keep in mind if I'm trying to achieve certain terpene profiles? Oh, uh, the old chemotype question. Um, you know, I don't know a lot about how our crop steering can affect terpene profiles. Usually, when we increase our THC, we'll definitely see increases in our terpene, how that affects specific terpenes. I mean, I think the biggest push there is genetics. Uh, obviously, how we grow it can, can modify that. Um, love to leave this question open-ended, and, and hopefully we can learn more about this in the future. 
Yeah, that's great for sure. Um, and yeah, if actually is anybody, if anybody is on and has done some crop steering for particular turfing profiles, you know, let us know. Let's talk about it. Um, all right. Well, that was the last Instagram question I had. Any other uh, live YouTube or anything like that, Mandy? Um, nope, it's uh, a little quiet for now. So uh, yeah, I think we're going to wrap it up pretty soon. Okay. Yeah. You know, uh, Jason, as we wrapping up this episode, just starting a new year, any any final thoughts before we wrap it up just a little bit early today? I've uh, just been getting a lot of great feedback about um, people enjoying the show. Uh, it takes the contributors asking the questions to really drive how much knowledge we can get out there. So big thanks to everyone that participates, whether it be asking questions on Instagram, um, jumping in for the show itself. Uh, that's That's really what makes this great. Yeah, for sure. It's really, uh, the, these live shows are just such a great opportunity to have dialogue with all y'all. So we really appreciate the live questions. Um, all right. <laughs> Bilbo says he has questions all day. Bilbo, what's on your mind? You got something else you want to ask? No, I, I just, I like the back and forth. So if you're trying to get ideas or comments, pick a topic that there's guaranteed a question waiting. Well, how was your, how was your harvest? The last harvest of last year? How'd everything go for you? Well, we're on a, a sequence. So I start a harvest group every, uh, the day that the clonal propagations are taken from donors. So we're currently working in harvest groups that started in late December and ones that have yet to be induced into rooting. So everything's been going good, trending up on terps and THC and uh, biomass yield. The harvest indexes are looking really good too, getting them up as high as possible. A lot of math, a lot of uh, processes that people have been, they're new to. Like, well, you're weighing that? Oh, you're weighing that? Or we're labeling that? Or, you know, we're, we're tre checking this 10 times to make sure that it's accurate. Um, we've seen some adverse reactions to what we suspect are environmental uh, in a particular cultivar. So, you know, roll into a mitigation role or uh, resource allocation for uh, how you're going to get rid of it. If you see it expressing a certain way, you realize that this is not going to be sellable as uh, in the product format that you originally anticipated. So dealing with challenges, um, definitely have been able to only through coming, only coming through copious amounts of data. And that's why I keep asking a lot of data driven questions from the Arroyo platform. Uh, have I been able to take a stab at uh, continual improvement. I think without that, everyone is destined to wonder how much things cost and generally fail as a business. It's, a, it's an interesting balance. If you are capturing enough information to make good decisions with your own hands and eyes um, and simple spot measurements, you don't have enough time to analyze it all. And so that's kind of, Kind of one of the challenges that I was very excited to to tackle uh, while I was cultivating was how can I automate some of this information, whether it's taking plant height with security cameras, um, whether it was substrate sensors with Terras 12s, whether it was um, implementing outside measurements um, and running comparisons so that the the operation didn't care whether it was spring, summer, or uh, or winter. Uh, all those gave me more time to accelerate the improvements that we could make because instead of taking them, I was analyzing. Yeah. Have you heard of Spot from Boston Dynamics? Oh, yeah. Okay, 
Okay, so spots are actually viable solution to, you know, lowering your, your bottom line, not initially, of course, you have that investment, but uh, something like spot can easily take plant height registrations. I mean, if you have a infrared pyrometer, you can definitely get your leaf surface temperature from an Apogee device, but whether it's a, a, a robot or some form of automation, there's those, those metrics that I think we've really been drilling into today that they end up being some of the deciding factors at when you would switch your steer or react to uh, an incoming pest pressure event or, or things of that nature. So generally um, drilling down into costs and analyzing data. I mean, that's something that I would love to spend more time training the team to be able to do, but right now it's still, a, as you said, you know, you spend more time doing one than the other. It's an imbalance. Bilbo, you're located in Canada, right? Yeah. You having um, kind of similar issues up there with like kind of overproduction of cannabis? Mm. I, I don't think so. No, honestly, there's a there's a huge portion of the market that can't produce anything of merit. There's a huge portion of the market that wants to buy based on price alone, but there's always been and continues to grow a substantial number of people, so you know, a portion of the market still, that w is chasing a, uh, an acceptable quality limit that only certain people are going to be able to meet. Now, it doesn't matter the market or the region of the world. If you have a brand and have some sort of following, I'm of the belief that you will be fine as a business, but if you're competing for that lowest lowest price to produce and, and boofiest product, then it's probably going to be really challenging for you. What I see more often than not right now is uh, people retooling their facilities to uh, want to compete, to want to stay in it because they do, they, they can do the math, even the napkin math, cowboy math. Um, but they, they are new to doing it with less, with this level of data. That really, I think, is a deciding factor between your booth and your bangers. Truer words were never spoken. I love it. <laughs> All right, Bilba, we really appreciate your insights. We are going to close it out early today. Um, but, you know, always, please join us. Keep coming back. Bring up stuff that's going on with you. Um, Mandy, thank you for co-moderating with me. And Jason, thank you for holding down the conversation as you do week after week. All right, everybody, thank you all for joining us for this week's Aurora Office Hours. We do this every Thursday. And the best way to get answers from the experts is to join us live. If you're looking to learn more about Aurora, book a demo, and our experts can walk you through all the ways it can be used to improve your cultivation production process. Um, but as always, if there's a topic you'd like covered on a future Office Hours session, post questions anytime via the Aurora app, feel free to drop them in the chat. Um, shoot us an email at support.arroya at metergroup.com. Send us a DM over Instagram, Social Club, LinkedIn. We are on all the socials. We record every session. Uh, session. We'll be emailing everyone in attendance a link to the video from today's discussion. It'll also be on our Arroya channel on YouTube. Like, subscribe, and share while you're there. And if you find these conversations helpful, spread the word. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Bye.
Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io.